Our gospel reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 24 through 39. Jesus said to the twelve, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house of Bezalel, how much more will they malign against his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are counted, so do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes who will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you all this morning from our Savior, Jesus Christ. About five years ago this August, I entered training for the ELCA's Young Adult and Global Mission Program, which included a week spent in Chicago with people who work at our churchwide office, former Yagam volunteers brought in to share their knowledge and story, and the 90 volunteers who would be serving alongside me across the world that year. It was a fun, albeit hectic week, to say the least. I remember many things from that week, hilarious stories about learning how to use a squatty potty, advice on how to communicate with cab drivers using only hand signals, a crash course on teaching English in a language you don't yet speak, and my Cambodian cohort's coveted catchphrase of, we'll see, the proper response to any and all stressful situations or questions from our parents. And I also remember one morning we all sat down in a room with Reverend Rafael Malpica Padilla, the executive director of all ELCA Global Mission. He had a big white piece of paper next to him on an easel, and he invited us to describe who we were on behalf of the ELCA that year. We listed terms such as missionary, teacher, friend, white lady, joke teller, American food expert, the hands and feet of Jesus. He wrote those down in a column. And then he asked us who we were going to serve during our year. 
those answers were more difficult. We started saying, well, siblings in Christ and those who want to learn English, ELCA mission partners, our host families, our new friends, hopefully host country food experts. And after we had made our lists, Raphael drew a line between them. It looked something akin to this. He told us this, he said, when you serve people as a part of God's mission, do so with the knowledge that whenever you draw a line between yourself and another person, between the server and the served, between us and them, God is on the other side of that line. Then Raphael wrote in big, bold letters with our list of people we were going to serve, the word God. And I remember staring at that line separating the two groups because I knew I couldn't make it through the year without God on my side. I had to learn how to erase the line. I had to erase the divisions I'd been taught were natural and good. I needed that paper to go back to before Reverend Raphael had split it in two, had split my world in two, back when we were all together. This is the place we find Hagar and Sarah when we read Genesis this morning. Sarah has drawn a line between her and Hagar. We remember that God had promised Sarah her and Abraham would make a great nation, that their descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky, but she was struggling to conceive even one child. God promised this abundance of family to Sarah and Abraham when they were already old, so with each passing day, Sarah lost more and more trust in God's promise. She came up with a solution. Abraham would conceive a child with Hagar, one of her enslaved people. And we fast forward to what we read this morning, and Sarah has had a child, Isaac. God provided for her as God promised, but a new lack of trust starts to set in. Sarah now distrusts that there will be enough inheritance for both Hagar's son, Ishmael, and her son, Isaac. Even though she is the reason Ishmael is even on the scene, she does not want her son to have to share his inheritance, which is to say God's promises with anyone. To fix this problem, she sends Hagar and Ishmael away. Her fear for her own son's fiscal security, his future power allows her to look past what was likely to be death for a woman and her, her child. She had drawn a line between her family and this other family, so she was comfortable doing something horrendous. If only she had been able to learn from Reverend Raphael Malpica Padilla as well. Because the next part of our story proves his lesson. Even though God had promised the inheritance to Sarah and Isaac, God is on the Hagar and Ishmael side of the line. God provided for Hagar and Ishmael in a way Sarah never could have imagined because she still struggled to comprehend God's abundance. God being on the Hagar-Ishmael side of the line did not stop God from keeping God's promises with Sarah and Isaac. In fact, we know from the following chapters of scripture that God is still with the Sarah-Isaac-Abraham family 
but it is Sarah's insistence that God cannot provide for both sons. Her lack of trust in the wealth of love that is possible with God that causes her to draw that line in the first place. A line that resulted in pain for Abraham, took away the only sibling Isaac had ever known. A line, I'm sure, sat on Sarah's conscience the rest of her life. All because she failed to understand that God's love and support are not like pie. Hagar and Ishmael getting a slice of goodness from God does not take that same piece away from Sarah and Isaac. If we were able to put God's goodness into a human metaphor, it would be more similar to my green onion plant. Each time I harvest one for use, it grows back faster and stronger, eager to provide me with more of what I need. Reading this ancient story, it's easy to see where Sarah drew a line separating herself from God's people. But it can be more difficult to see where we have drawn our own lines. When I started seminary, I learned pretty quickly that there were people in my school I disagree with. Because my school is an intentionally residential community, I also learned that one of those people was a part of a group of, I don't know, five people who bothered to wake up and eat breakfast each morning. This meant that for most of my first year of seminary, about once a week, I would find myself enraged before 9 a.m about how this one particular person understood baptism or refused to take a stance on women's ordination or didn't find my obviously hilarious story of the day very funny at all. And if I'm being honest, I found most of these breakfast encounters exhausting. Sometimes they would be civil and even pleasant, but the constant awareness of how much we disagreed meant I was always on my guard. And then this fall rolled around, I'd moved into an apartment, and so I did not see this person as often. I didn't eat breakfast in our dining hall. Until one day, he pulled me aside and told me he had really appreciated our conversations last year. He then quoted me on some things I had said over the past year that had stuck with him and even started to change his mind. I was shocked. Not only because I hadn't realized he'd been listening to me that whole time, but because I couldn't remember a single thing he said. Of course, I knew certain stances or beliefs he had expressed, categories really that I had put him in, but this man could quote me. He had been listening. And that's when I realized that while I had been setting up camp on my side of the line, God had been doing work on the other. And the person who had missed out on growth and understanding and learning with the Holy Spirit, well, that was me. It's natural to find points of differentiation between us and them. It allows us to navigate the world without being exhausted by the amount of empathy needed to understand and care for each and every human being we come in contact with. We need ways of distinguishing ourselves, so we pick certain social issues, we define ourselves as city, suburb, or country people, as one kind of professional or another, as someone who understands social distancing to mean never leaving our homes and those who feel comfortable dining outside in restaurants, as members of either political party or no political group at all, 
as a part of this family or that. We add labels to ourselves to make it easier to find our people. But each time we differentiate ourselves from someone rather than being curious about who they are, we're putting another line between us and God's people. What we're really doing is creating a cage between ourselves and the world. We are choosing difference over understanding. And rather than seeing each person as Jesus sees them, whole and worthy of love, we stay in our groups and don't really see others at all. It's natural to not want to break free from this cage. It takes a whole lot of work to erase each line. But the problem is that you cannot follow Jesus' instruction and proclaim the gospel if you are stuck in a cage. In our reading from Matthew this morning, Jesus is teaching the disciples how much work following the Holy Spirit will be. He warns them that placing God first in doing that, he warns them that in placing God first, we don't get to stay quiet out of fear. We are called to proclaim God's love for everyone, no matter what. And in order to proclaim or enact God's love for each person in a meaningful way, we have to know them. We have to understand their perspectives. We have to be able to call them by name. We need to find common ground, build rapport, maybe have some inside jokes. But most of all, we need to trust that wanting the best for them will not take away from the best for us. Jesus calls us to be loud and proud of this gospel. He says, what is whispered to you at night, proclaim from housetops. Proclaim this radical love and justice of God even though it will make your family angry sometimes, even though those on your side of the line might not want to hear it. Erasing lines we have drawn and breaking out of our cages allows us to see the world the way God sees it, as a big family. The world without cages is one where Isaac and Ishmael got to grow up playing together and sharing in God's goodness. And yes, this world would be tiring. It will require caring about the pain of each person you encounter rather than numbing yourself to the problems of the world or getting caught up in what is practical and humanly possible. Author Glennon Doyle writes about this world in her book, Untamed. She says the Jesus idea is that justice casts the widest net possible so that every last one of us is inside. There are no others, there is only us. Inside one net, we are free from cages of fear and hate, instead bound to one another. The revolutionary idea that every last one of us is both held and free, that is our salvation. Hmm. That is our salvation. Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus came to set free the people from whom you are withholding your empathy, love, and justice because they're on the other side of the line. Jesus came to set you free. Amen. <laughs>